Welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 114, part two of the talk given by Andy Croft, entitled A New Move of God. Where do, we, where do we find that in the scripture? Where does it start? It starts before the beginning. It actually starts before the beginning in the Godhead. And for us, two key doctrines to rediscover are the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of the church. And to rediscover them in a way, in a way that brings life and offers something to those who don't know the Lord yet. So the doctrine of the Trinity, I love, you know, Genesis, is it Genesis 1.26 where the Lord says, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness. And what you have there is this picture right from the beginning, this hint that obviously doesn't grow and develop until the New Testament, but this hint that within God there is a community, that God God is himself relationship and the church fathers way back when when they were reading the scriptures and they were trying to figure out well who is this God that we worship as they discerned the doctrine of the Trinity one of the things that they discovered is that they see in this book that you have the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and the way that they work is they revolve around one another and that's the opposite of individualism because the culture of individualism is you all revolve around me and uh, my world is the primary world, and your job is just to make it better by revolving around me. And what we see in God, and the way that we look at God, is that you see the Father who revolves around the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit who revolves around the Father and the Son. And the Son who revolves around the Father and the Spirit. And they saw this dynamism and this movement in God such that they gave it a name, the perichoresis of God, the dance of love, the dance of joy. And they see that within God there is this, this community right from the beginning, this relationship right from the beginning. And then what God says is, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness. And have you noticed with him that relationships seem to be more important than anything else? Have you seen that about God? Like say so he says, two most important commandments love me and love each other and everything else hangs on those two it's all about relationship and so if the trinity is our model for how to be then the church is how we outwork that and it's how we live that it's it's this dance around one another and so for us what that means practically is we have the joy of getting to invite people not to sign up to a set of beliefs and tick a box next to a philosophy, but to enter into a community and a relationship. And um, uh, for me, one of the times that this has come home more than any other was when I went to, there's a couple of friends of mine uh, called Harris and Miriam, and I went to their wedding, they're Jewish. It's the first Jewish wedding I've ever been to. And um, I remember sitting there, and they give you the, um, you know, the little sheet about what's going to happen. And it had on the bottom of the sheet, spontaneous dancing. And <laughs> so I thought, okay. And uh, I was looking forward to seeing how this was going to work out. And there came the moment in the wedding where the groom puts the glass on the floor and stamps on the glass. And the moment that he stood on the glass, everyone just went nuts. Like everyone just went ballistic everywhere, crazy dancing. And at a Jewish wedding, they, they have a separate dance floors for men and women. And um, so I remember going and standing on the edge of the guy's dance floor. And my friend Harris uh, was dancing like a madman in the middle. 
and they put Harris on a chair and they were all sort of putting him up on the chair, him up on the chair and every time they chucked him in the air, Harris, who's this little Jewish guy, went, yeah, like that. And then they put him on the chair and they threw him up and he went, yeah, like this. And then um, this, it looked sort of crazy, but they all somehow seemed to know what they were doing. And then I remember Harris disappeared and I thought, oh my word, they're dancing him to death. He's, <laughs> he's been trampled. Should I go and rescue him? I don't like him that much. I stay on the edge. And then, and then eventually, eventually Harris having disappeared in the middle, leapt up on the edge of the dance floor and he saw me standing there looking a bit nervous because I cannot dance, grabbing me and then he chucked me right into the middle of the dance floor. And before I knew it, I had a, uh, one of these guys on each arm and I found myself in the middle of this crazy dance and at the start I was very awkward and I didn't know what I was doing and then I just thought, stuff this. <laughs> so I went for it and I joined in. And what I have found is that that is probably the best picture of the gospel that I've ever understood in my own life. Because what happens, what we're told, is that the Father, the Son and the Spirit are dancing around for eternity. And then what happens with the incarnation, it's as if God the Son comes to the edge of the dance floor, the bridegroom comes to the edge of the dance floor, and what he does is he offers his hand. And for all of us who accept it, all of us who reach out, he grabs us and then he whips us into the middle of the dance. And then we begin to revolve around. And isn't that, oh, don't you see images of that when Jesus talks about a wedding feast and he talks about a banquet and you hear that the older brother comes near to the house in the parable of the prodigal son and he hears the sound of music and dancing inside. It's this image of we're whipped into a community that is full of love and it's full of joy. And the reason it's full of love and the reason it's full of joy is because it's a committed community. It's about commitment. And for us, one of the things that we are to do if we are to play a serious role in the move of God in the coming generation is we have to begin to model in a fresh way commitment, friendship, sacrifice, covenant, community. Those are things that have to become part of our DNA to begin to show a world that doesn't understand because it thinks the primary expression of love is sex to begin to show it that actually the primary expression of love is sacrifice. The real authentic, you know, authentic, whatever, the thing that shows love to be true, I can't think of the word. <laughs> Self-sacrifice is what it is. And that we see in, in the way that the Lord does it. And um, just want to read just a couple of verses from um, the book of Ruth, actually, that spoke to me on this. And uh, there's this wonderful moment. The book of Ruth begins with Naomi. Uh, going to Moab, deciding to return from Moab because her life's gone horribly wrong. Both of her sons has died, her husband has died. She's got two daughters-in-law and um, uh, she tries to persuade them to leave her. And Ruth, it literally says, Ruth clings to her mother-in-law. The only time in history that's ever happened. <laughs> and then it says, uh, there's, this, there's this discussion on the road. And Ruth, uh, Ruth basically says, Naomi just says to Ruth, leave, you know, go, just leave, just leave. And then Ruth uh, replies with these words from chapter 1, verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So what Ruth shows us there is a little insight, a little nugget about what real relationship is meant to be. I will go with you, I will stay with you, 
and I will die with you, says Ruth to Naomi. How does that work for us? One of the ways it works for us is because uh, friendship is this thing where you go in somewhere together. Uh, lovers, if you see lovers around, as I don't know if I can see some of you here already, I can tell. Um, what lovers tend to do is they spend all of their time just looking at each other, don't they? In the eyes. They just look at each other in the eyes all the time. And what uh, C.S. Lewis says is friends, actually what friends do is they stand shoulder to shoulder, side by side, and they look at something in common. Friendship is always about something. Lover, it's just about each other, but friendship is about something. And he, he writes that even if it's a love of dominoes or white mice or something, it's this thing that you have in common. And Ruth, when she says to go to Naomi, with Naomi, she says, I'm going to go with you because what they're going to is to build a new life together. It's going to achieve something. Do you know, we're inviting people not just to come and stare at us over orange squash after a service, but to go somewhere, to live for something, to spend themselves for something greater than who they are. That is far more attractive when we paint it like that than just come, it's not going to be that boring. It's like we're going to, you know, we're going to go somewhere. We're going to do something. I'm going to, we're going somewhere together. That's the thing that unites us is the common cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It unites us as brothers and sisters and it unites anyone who wants to come in. And that's what we get to offer. I will go with you. Come with us. Come do something. Come change the world. Then there's this thing, I will stay with you, says Ruth to Naomi. And this again is where we as a church, we have to, have to grow in it if we want to be attractive to those outside. I will stay with you is something that's easy to say when life is easy. It's hard to say that when life is hard. Making a commitment is the easy bit. Keeping it is the hard part. And this is a point where Naomi is going back to Moab, her life has gone horribly wrong. Ruth is leaving everything she knows to go back to Moab. Naomi has literally changed her name to Bitter. Um, I don't know about you, but is that the sort of person you want to be hanging around with? Like, my name's Bitter, come along. Like, but that's, that's what she's changed her name to. And Ruth is like, well, even so, I'm going to go with you. And what this reminds me of is, again, it's often when we as human beings go through things that are hard and difficult, what we often do is we push people away. That's how I do it. And I've been doing some ministry in a hospital as, cha- as a chaplain. And the number of people, I spoke to three people in one day who told me that they wanted to die. And I said, well, why are you saying that? And they said, I don't want to be a burden to anyone. I don't want to burden people with my, with my troubles. What the Bible teaches is that I am made to be a burden to you. And you are made to be a burden to me. And... When we, when we go through hard times, what we always want to do is we want to push people away. That's where as the church we say, no, we're staying with you. Uh, there's no easy answer, there's no quick fix, but we're going to stay anyway. And uh, it always reminds me of, um, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings films, but basically the gist of the Lord of the Rings is there's a guy called Frodo, a little hobbit. He's got to chuck a ring in a fire. And um, it takes nine hours, but it's <laughs> that's essentially what happens. But there's this moment 
where Frodo has a ring, yeah, and he's, he's thinking, okay, and he's with his friends. They call it the Fellowship of the Ring. They're with this big group of friends. But Frodo begins to realize that this, this, this is such a difficult journey. This is going to be so hard. Probably all of his friends will die. So he decides what he's going to do is run away and go off by himself to do the deed. So when there's a big fight going on, Frodo puts the ring on and he runs off and he gets into this boat and he begins to row away from everybody else. At that moment, Frodo's best mate, another little hobbit called Sam, realises what Frodo is doing. So Sam runs down to the river where the boats are and he sees Frodo rowing off in the distance. And so Sam goes, Mr. Frodo, Mr. Frodo, come back to me. And Frodo's like, no, Sam, this is too hard. Just leave me alone. And he's rowing off there. And then Sam's like, no, Mr. Frodo, come back, come back. And Frodo says, no, I'm not coming back. You stay. So then Sam gets into the river and starts swimming towards Frodo. But Sam cannot swim. So after a little while, he starts to drown. And he's like, Mr. Frodo, Mr. Frodo. And then Sam is like, Frodo's like, Sam, you're going to drown. Go back, go back. And Sam won't go back. So eventually, Sam sinks. And then Frodo reaches in. He grabs him and he pulls him into the boat. And Sam's sitting there, sort of like coughing up water and spewing. And then he says, where were you going, Frodo? Where were you going without your Sam? And Frodo in that moment realizes that Sam is either going to drown or he's going to come with him. And so they go together. For us, there will be people in your life, people in mine, who they're going somewhere too hard because they've just been told they've got cancer or they're going through a divorce or uh, their parents are or they've lost their job or they're struggling with depression or an eating disorder or life has just thrown them one too many punches. And what happens in a situation like that is they often, if they're anything like me and you maybe, they withdraw and they put the walls up. For us, it's we're going to stay. We're going to stay the course with you. We're going to stick with you. And then the third thing, and you can tell Ruth is like building up to something. She's been to drama school or something because she's building up to climax. And she's like, I will go with you. I will stay with you. And I will die with you. And then she says, and where you are buried, I will be buried. Even our corpses will be hanging out together in the grave, Naomi. And that, again, is like ultimately what that is, is that sacrifice for another. And Jesus tells us very, very, very clearly in John 13, verse 34, if you, you know, by this shall all people know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. As I have loved you. And Ruth, what she was effectively doing there is, I'll lay down my life for you, Naomi. Isn't that what he does for us? Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. And the challenge for us, again, as a community and as a church, is to choose to be other-centered rather than me-centered. To choose to lay down our lives for one another, practically, with our time, with our money, with our patience, with everything that we have. Because this is the kicker. I cannot show, I cannot show them God's love by myself. And neither can you. The only way they'll see that we're his disciples is when they look at how I love you and how you love me. It's a community thing. It's a community mission. And they're looking for community And they're hungry for it. It's good news that that's what we have to offer them. And and 
the other thing that I'll say on this, because I don't want to um, go over time, because we're going to pray for a bit, but the other thing that I will just say is also with this, there's a, there's a part we all get to play in raising up the next generation of leaders. And um, it doesn't matter. The new move of God, the temptation can, can be to think, oh, well, the new move of God must be for, like, the 16-year-olds. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case in the scripture. Abraham was 75 when God started to use him. David was a little boy when he killed Goliath. God doesn't seem to mind about how old we are. He's more interested in other things like how available we are, how willing we are to obey him. Um, having said that, there's a job for all of us, which is all of us, however old we are, we have to raise up those who are beneath us. Because if the new move of God is going to continue after we're not around, it has to have leaders who are rooted in his word, who are rooted in the traditions of the church, and who have learned to hear the spirit of God and follow his lead. And raising people up is something that sometimes, if you're anything like me, it can be a bit intimidating because it's like, well, what do I have to offer? You know, what do I have to give? How do I raise up people? Do you know what I have been discovering? Um, it's, it's basically this. It's saying to someone, I will go with you, I will stay with you, and I will die with you. Practically, what does that look like? Um, I said at the start, Mike came and found me in a dinner queue. Um, if we want to raise people up, we have to go looking for them. It has to be an intentional thing. Again, we see the pattern when we look at Jesus. What did he do? He went looking for the twelve. And you would have thought, when you saw the twelve, that he'd picked the wrong twelve, wouldn't you? <laughs> really? Like, Peter, every time he opens his mouth, he puts his foot in it. Thomas doesn't believe anything. Um, you know, Simon was a zealot, a terrorist. Matthew was a tax collector, a traitor to Israel. Those twelve? So he, what he does is he goes looking for them. And then he says, come with me. Come with me. Let's go do something together. Let's go on an adventure together. For us, partly what it is to raise people up is to say, hey, I'm going I'm to intentionally look for a few people that God is calling me to invest my life in. And then I'm going to say, come on an adventure. Let's do this together. Let's go achieve something great together. That will grab people. It really will. Secondly, stay with them. It takes time to raise people up. It's going to take us time to raise up people who can take on leadership from whatever it is that we're doing. And not only will it take time, it will be hard and there will be a lot of setbacks. So when I was Mike's intern, there were many, many things that I did wrong. But um, one of them was just I was a complete moody git. And I remember we went to, um, we went to this thing in Canada where Mike was speaking and I was just there hang- hanging around with him as usual. And uh, we went out for a meal after Mike had spoken at this event. And I remember just, um, uh, I was in a bad mood. I was really tired. I was 18. And I was sitting there, and um, there was just me and Mike and this elderly pastor and his wife. And I remember this elderly pastor and his wife were just the sweetest, sweetest, sweetest couple in the world. And they took us out for an Italian and... um, Then um, they were just trying to make conversation with us. And Mike was kind of working really hard to make the conversation. And I was just staring at them. And, um, and then uh, the only thing I said was I wanted chicken <laughs> to eat. And then after a while, the elderly pastor obviously felt that she should include me in the conversation. So he sort of looked over at me and he said, so tell me, Andy, when did you get saved? And um, I just really didn't want to talk to him. So I just looked up and I just said, I've always been saved. 
And then I carried on eating. I know. I can see some of your faces. And then I didn't apologise afterwards. And I left. And um, the next morning, I woke up and thought, gosh, that was a little bit rude. They bought me chicken, and I just insulted them and was grumpy. And I went to Mike, and I said to him, hey, mate, um, sorry, uh, you know, for doing that. And he said, yeah, Andy, that was actually really embarrassing. You shouldn't have done that. But he, he didn't, at that point, walk away. There were plenty of other times he could have done as well. Um, but he never did. He always stayed. And then, for us, it's like, okay, who are those people? And what will happen is, as we raise people up, there'll be times they really disappoint us. There'll be times they let us down. There'll be times we ask them to do something and they forget. There'll be other times we ask them to do something and they do it completely not the way we ask them to do it. And it's choosing to stay there anyway and just help them work through that. That's the only way it will work. And then the final thing is we have to die for them. To raise other people up involves dying to ourselves for a number of reasons. One is, there's always the risk that they'll do it worse than us. And they probably will at the start. And that's hard, isn't it, when you want your ministry to do well or you want the event to go well. You know, better to do it yourself because then it will be okay. Well, that's part of the cost of raising people up is to take a risk. The other risk is that they might do it better than us. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I get a little bit insecure around that. So that's hard. That's like, okay, well. And then also, it's like really what they need to know more than anything is that we love them. And as I mentioned earlier, the, 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 the thing that authenticates love is self-sacrifice. Mike uh, is you know, not just a person who has invested in me. He's my, he's my great friend. And there have been all sorts of times where being my friend has cost him, um, sometimes literally. So when I was a student at university, I remember I ran out of money. You know, I ran out of my, my student loan ran out. And uh, I, was, I was okay, you know, I was thinking, I was just my parents for some money. Um, but uh, I mentioned it, he came up to see me anyway. And I mentioned oh, I just said, oh, you know, I haven't got any money. And, um, and then he rang me later on that evening. And he said, uh, oh, Andy, I've just, just so you know, I've just put £1,000 into your bank account. And um, I found out afterwards, he never told me this, he doesn't have a lot of money. Um, he took out a loan to give me 1000 And the reason that that, you know, that means so much to me is like, gosh, you must really care. You must really care. Uh, there are other ways in which it's cost him as well, like the amount of stress that I put him through uh, when he asked me to do things. Because I get stressed about them, and he gets stressed about them, and then it's all a big mess. Um, but it's like part is being willing to pay that cost and being willing to go the distance. And for us, as we think about the next 20 years of Celebrate, it's understanding the culture and the challenges and then understanding, okay, well, maybe that is the challenge. But we don't need to be daunted by that. We just need to understand that's how it is. And then what we do is we bring what we have, which is the eternally relevant gospel of Jesus Christ, and we offer that to people as a community and as a family. But then also it's recognising that if the next 20 years if there's going to be an even bigger conference and even more celebration and even more partying 20 years from now, it's investing in those who are younger than us, however old we are, whatever age that might be, whether we're over here or we're over here, it doesn't matter. 
is trying to find those people, saying to them, finding them, it'll only ever be a few, but saying to them, look, come with me on an adventure, right? I'm going to stick with you whatever happens. I'll give you opportunities. I'll cheer you on. When you get it wrong, I will take the blame. When you get it right, you can have the credit, and I will just enjoy watching you grow. And then if we do that, and we choose to spend ourselves in that way, what that will mean is we get to spend, you know, 20 years' time at the anniversary, you can invite me back, and, um, and what we could do is we could look at photos of things that God has done over the last 20 years, and I pray that we do that, but also we could look around at people who we've invested in over the last 20 years who are doing so much more than we ever could, so much more than we ever dreamed of. And again, it's something that has stayed with me, for, 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 it's what Mike said to me once, just off the cuff, he just said, I don't want to spend my old age looking at photos of things I've done. I'd rather look at people that I've invested in. And for us, I wonder if that might be part of the God's call to us and part of his challenge to pass the baton on and to see what he has next uh, as he moves. And on that basis, uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to wait. He's obviously already here. Um, just going to ask him to increase his presence and then see see what it is the Lord wants to do. Um, why don't we stand together to do this? So thank you for taking the time to listen to these episodes. Our prayer is that as you listen and reflect on these teachings, that you'll be encouraged to continue your journey, to maximise your potential, to have a good and a happy life. So sign in again next week for more teaching on how you can follow the Jesus way to experience your life as filled with meaning, purpose and joy. So God bless and stay safe.